Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 97. And today I'd like to talk about the difficult days of unschooling. Also, health and fitness and regaining the rhythm to our unschooling days. I'm sure I'll have lots of stories to tell you while I'm discussing those topics. You might have noticed that it's been a few weeks since my last podcast, and that's because I have been very busy with my family recently. I haven't had time to sit down at the mic and record anything. A few of my children have had big problems that I have been trying to help with. And those problems make me think, have I failed with my parenting? Does unschooling not work? Should I not tell people about unschooling? I have been feeling like an unschooling imposter. I write lots of stories about unschooling in the hope that you will unschool as well. And maybe people think that the unschooling life is a perfect life. If we unschool, our kids will be perfectly brought up. They will have no problems whatsoever in their future lives. They won't encounter a single problem. Well, I've been pondering this a lot recently. And I think that it is impossible for anybody to avoid the problems of life. It is impossible for parents to protect their children from all problems, all challenges. We don't know what's ahead. And would we want to protect our children from the challenges of life anyway? Because the challenges help us grow. They help our kids grow. They are learning opportunities. I know this from my own life. I guess being a mother... My heart aches whenever I see my children facing a problem. I want their lives to be perfectly happy. And when they're not, I'm not happy either. I feel their pain very, very deeply. It is hard being a parent. I think it is especially hard being a mother. On Mother's Day, shall I tell you my Mother's Day story? It isn't a pretty story. I didn't want to celebrate Mother's Day this year. My heart was just aching with all the pain of my kids, not just them, but all the people that I help. It just seemed to me that I am surrounded by people who are hurting. And of course, my heart hurts too. And I didn't want to be a mother on Mother's Day. I didn't want to feel that pain anymore. I looked around at other people who weren't feeling this pain, who weren't feeling as deeply as I was feeling, and I wanted to be just like them. I didn't want to be a mother anymore. And so I didn't want to celebrate Mother's Day, which was rather sad for my family who had gone to some trouble to get presents for me, to make the day very special, and when I said, look, I just don't feel happy today, I don't want to celebrate, it was a bit of a disappointment for them. Not a good thing to have done, I don't think. But, as my husband said later on, he said, you are hurting. I can see that. It doesn't matter that you didn't want to celebrate today. At the end of the day, when my heart was not just aching because of all the problems of other people, but also was I was feeling a little bit guilty about spoiling the day. 
I just burst into tears. I just sat there crying and crying, thinking to myself, this is a terrible day of my life. How will my kids ever forgive me? And they just came along. They put their arms around me. They just made me feel that they understood. It wasn't a matter of forgiving me, although they probably did. That wasn't the point. They understood that I was hurting and I needed them. They accepted me where I was right at that moment. And this is what makes me feel that unschooling is the perfect way of life, even though we may face problems, that our children won't turn out perfectly, that they'll have challenges to get through. What makes me think that unschooling is the perfect way of life is the fact that we all love each other unconditionally. We don't judge each other when one of us is having a hard time. When one of us fails to live up to the ideal of being a parent or a child, it doesn't matter who you are in the family, when somebody falls, when somebody can't cope any longer, the other people in the family reach down and pull us back up again and say, hey, that's okay. Life is difficult. We love you regardless. And that gives me a lot of courage to keep on going. Yes, my children aren't perfect. I am not a perfect mother. We are not living a perfect unschooling life, but we try. So I don't really think that I am an unschooling imposter. I wrote this in a blog post last week. When I was feeling like an imposter, feeling what right have I got to talk and to write about unschooling when I haven't got it all worked out myself. When I was feeling that way, I just wanted to go online and delete every single thing that I have ever created to do with unschooling. My blog, my podcasts, my YouTube videos, my Facebook page. I didn't want anything there anymore. I didn't want people to come along and read and watch and uh, listen and be influenced by my experiences because I felt so low. I felt that I had nothing to share. Maybe I was, in fact, leading people astray. Well, as I said, I've changed my mind since then. I don't think unschooling is the problem at all. It's life that's the problem. And it's also having unrealistic expectations. Our kids have their whole lives to become the people they are meant to be. I have my whole life to be the person that I'm meant to be as well. And if I have my challenges, if I fall down every now and then, why can't my children? Every time they do meet a challenge, they grow, as I said. They become better people. They take one more step along the pathway to becoming the people they are meant to be. And our role, I think, as parents is to walk along side by side with our kids, not to condemn or criticize them, to offer them support, unconditional love and encouragement. I don't think it's our role to rush in and solve the problems. Some of them I don't know if I could solve anyway, but it is not even, I think, to tell them what we think they should do. It is to listen, to reflect back to them what they're going through, to help them get it all into order, to offer them empathy. And by doing all that, I think there does come a point where our kids do want a few suggestions from us. 
They are willing to listen, but we have to wait. Our kids do value our opinion. At least this is what I found. And this is why we're sticking with unschooling, even through the problems. I think it's our lifeline. It is making us into the type of people who can help each other. And that's so much more important than looking like we are perfect. I don't think I could do things any other way. And when I was thinking about perhaps unschooling is the wrong approach to life, perhaps we should be doing something else, I thought, what would we do? Because I think there's a few fundamental things about unschooling which we can't change. I have to do something that respects my children. I can't grab control. I can't make them into the people I think they should be. I can't impose myself upon them. I want them to have the freedom to develop their skills and their talents and to do what they are meant to do, to fulfill their mission in life. And how can I do that in any other way than unschooling? So I have regained my courage. And a lot of that has to do with my friends who have stopped by on Facebook and sent me emails and on my blog to say, Hey Sue, we appreciate you being honest. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect. We all have problems. And I think maybe this is a problem with blogging, that everybody does seem perfect. We tell the good stories. Well, a lot of people do. And I wonder, when bloggers only tell the good stories, does this mean there aren't any bad ones? Does this mean that they don't go through difficult times? I doubt very, very much if anyone is leading a perfect life. But I'm still here, still blogging, still podcasting, still making videos. I want to tell you a bit more about that later. First of all, I want to talk about the rhythm of our unschooling days. Yes, some of my children have had big problems recently, but I don't think that is the whole reason why I have been feeling overloaded and overwhelmed, why I have found it hard to blog and podcast to find free time for myself. Yes, there's other things going on in our lives, and one of these is the change in our routine. As you know, my daughter Sophie, who is 16, has a job in a cafe. She's been working now for about five months, and the cafe is about 40, 45 minutes drive from home. Each time she works, each day, somebody has to drive her to work and then drive home, and somebody has to drive back to collect her at the end of the day. That is three hours driving for somebody every day, three hours out of our unschooling day. And we're not used to having that kind of restriction on our unschooling day. We like to get up in the morning and have the whole day stretched out ahead of us, a whole day to fill with our unschooling adventures. We choose what we want to do. It's a wonderful life of freedom. But yes, we have been restricted by Sophie's work. Sophie has a job so far away from home because we live in an area where young people find it hard to get jobs. There are not a lot of them, and especially a first job. 
So I am really willing to drive Sophie to work each day. I think it is a good opportunity for her. She has learned a lot of other skills through working, but also she's earning her own money. She wants to be a photographer and a videographer. When I say she wants to be, really I should say she wants to earn money from photography and videography. She already is a photographer and a videographer. A photographer needs equipment, and she has a fair amount of it. We have done our best to give her what she needs. But she wanted a professional camera, and her job allowed her to save up money to buy that camera. And now she has her eye on some more photography equipment, things that she thinks will help her with learning about photography with her future profession. Yes, you need the tools of your trade. So this job is good for Sophie in many ways. The person who is suffering most from Sophie working is Gemma Rose. Gemma Rose is 13. She loves spending the mornings with me. In the morning, after we have cleaned the house and said our morning prayers, we might read together. I will read to her. I'm reading Uncle Tom's Cabin at the moment. And Gemma Rose will draw while I'm reading. And then we'll swap around. She'll read to me. She's still reading Mansfield Park to me, but we've almost finished it. And while she reads, I embroider. We drink coffee together, we chat. We might watch a video. At the moment, we're watching this reality historical series called The Outback House. It is set in 1861 on a property where there are sheep. The squatter and his wife, the servants and the farm hands and the overseer. They're all living at a place called Oxley Downs. This is one of those reconstruction historical series. A certain number of people were chosen to live this life on Oxley Downs. They volunteered to dress up in the clothes of the day and to take on these roles and live them for about three months. They have to live together. They, they were strangers at the beginning of the series. They have to adapt to their roles and make the sheep property profitable. The squatter has to make a profit from his sheep. It is very, very interesting not only to learn all the historical details of the time, but to see the, the relationships between the different people, how they learn to get on or not. I think we're on episode four, and already somebody has resigned and somebody else has been given the sack. Not all the original cast are going to survive the three months on the sheep property. While we've been watching, Jim Rose and I have been talking about these relationships, the skills people are using or not using to get on with each other, the way the cook wouldn't treat the maid with respect, how she thought it was her right to just order the maid around, and how the maid reacted to this. How the maid said she didn't want to serve other people. She didn't see why she should serve other people. And then it's interesting, the new cook, because the first cook got sacked, the new cook actually has built up a nice relationship with this teenager maid. She knows how to relate to young people because she is actually in real life somebody who teaches cooking. I don't know whether it was at a TAFE, but she is... A teacher cook and obviously deals with a lot of young people. Her method of relating to people is so different from the first 
cookbook. So you might like to have a look at that series if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Australia and its history, about sheep farming, about squatters. We bought the series from iTunes. I think you can buy it on DVD. I couldn't find a free copy anywhere online. As I said, we're on episode four, so we haven't seen the whole series, so I can't tell you anything about the last four, but the first four were fine. Now, why was I telling you about that? Oh yeah, I was saying that Chimarez and I like to watch a video together, maybe in the morning, sometimes in the evening as well. And usually videos lead us on a number of rabbit trails. We like to do a little bit of research, discuss things together. For example, we were watching a video, I think it was two days ago, about the Taj Mahal. It was a periodic video on their YouTube channel about cleaning the Taj Mahal. And after watching it, we wanted to find out more about this building. And we had a big adventure through maths because of the symmetry and the patterns of the building, the architecture, so we did some creative arts. We learnt why the building was actually built in the first place. It's a mausoleum. We found a podcast on this topic as well. And then just before lunch, I said to Gemma Rose, I wonder if I can go on a virtual run around the Taj Mahal. If you listened to my last episode, you will know that we have a new treadmill that hooks up to the internet. There's an app that we have on our tablet, and we can watch a Google Map pictures from various places around the world as we're running along. We have a big, big choice of runs. So I headed to iFit, where the library of virtual runs is, and we scrolled through, and yes, we found a virtual run around the Taj Mahal. I think it was about 3.5k, and when it came time to do my run, which is at lunchtime, I hopped on the treadmill, and I ran around the Taj Mahal. We talked about that later. So that's the typical morning that I have at home with Gemma Rose. Lots of reading, drawing, embroidering watching a few videos, chatting together, drinking coffee. And Shimmer Rose loves this time with me. It's her special time, one-on-one time. The rest of the day, she goes off and investigates her own things, and I do my own things, like blogging, if I've got time to write a blog post. I spend time with the other girls in the afternoon as well. But back to the rhythm of our days. When I go out to take Sophie to work in the morning, I'm not home to spend time with Gemma Rose. And that's been a bit of a problem. I found myself doing things with Gemma Rose during my free time, and so I haven't had any time to do the things that I'd like to do. I think it's time to establish a new rhythm to our days. Maybe it's good every now and then to stop and assess what's working and what's not, What are everybody's needs? How can we fit everybody's needs into our day? It's very easy to overlook somebody's needs when we're unschooling. For example, Gemma Rose is quite capable of learning everything by herself. I could leave her to it, but that's not the point. The point is she likes spending time with me, and I like spending time with her. We have a need of each other. The time we spend together is very important. The other thing that's been going by the wayside is morning prayers. When somebody rushes out the door first thing in the morning, we don't have time to gather 
as a family to pray and read the Bible. I mentioned this the other day, and Imogen said, Look, Mum, perhaps we ought to say evening prayers together instead of morning prayers, because in the evening we say our own prayers. Perhaps we should just say a morning offering together first thing before we all disperse, and say our rosary, whatever else we want to say, at a better time of day. I've also been hanging out washing at odd times, and it hasn't been drying because it's winter. And then thinking about, well, perhaps we just leave it out overnight, get it in the next morning. Yes, sometimes we have to stop and do things differently. I guess this is what unschooling is all about. We have the freedom to organize our days to suit ourselves. And sometimes things do change, and we can use our freedom to reorganize our days. And that's, I think, what we need to do. We like having a rhythm to our day. I have spoken about what Gemma Rose, who is 13, is doing at the moment, but perhaps I'll share what Sophie is doing other than her work. Sophie is 16. I think I probably said that. She works three days a week at the cafe, which leaves her two weekdays free, plus the weekend. I no longer keep Sophie's homeschool records. She has her own Evernote notebook, and we agreed that as long as she keeps her own records, as long as she puts down all that she's doing in her days, I'm quite happy. She knows all about record keeping from observing what I've been doing. She knows how to turn what she's doing into the right kind of notes. She's actually had her last homeschool registration visit, so the homeschool records is really just a backup. I don't think anybody will come along and look at it in the future, but it is a record of what she's doing. It might be handy for when she wants to apply to university or apply for another job, or just to look back on and enjoy the memories. So Sophie, she's working. She's taking photos. She's editing. She's making music videos. She's researching. She's doing courses on photography and videography. She's learning new techniques pushing herself all the time. She exercises. She's passionate about exercise. She reads about nutrition, about health and fitness. She's been researching what she would need if she wanted to be a personal trainer because she said that might be a good way of earning some money as well while she's doing photography and videography. Why not earn money from one of your passions? She watches videos. She talks about anything and everything with me. She observes what Gemma Rose is doing. She joins in on all the family conversations. She asks questions. Sophie used to spend more of her time with me and Gemma Rose in the morning. And even though she is no longer doing that, I am confident that she is learning and developing and growing and that she is heading in the right direction. I want to tell you about Sophie's first wedding shoot. Yes, Sophie filmed her first wedding about two or three weeks ago. It was a family wedding, the wedding of a cousin. And she was thrilled to be asked by her cousin if she would do the wedding photo shoot, if she would be the official photographer. I think Sophie was a little bit nervous because weddings are big events. You can't go back if you mess up the photos and take them again. What you take on the day is what the bride and groom have to remember their wedding by. A big responsibility, maybe. But Sophie has courage. She wanted to give it a go. 
She did a bit more research about wedding photography, about what sort of poses she could arrange all the guests into, what photos um, had to be taken, what group photos, where she was going to take photos, would there be a garden for some outdoor ones, all that kind of thing. And then she bought herself an extra SD card so that she would have a lot of card space and she wouldn't be restricted. She could take as many photos as she wanted. I was the backup photographer, but also Imogen had the camera at one point taking photos as well. Sophie bought herself a step stool. Sophie's quite short, although she is a little bit taller than me. I think she is about 157.5 centimeters tall. And she said that if she was a little bit taller, she could get the camera at a better angle for photographing taller people. So she bought herself this little step stool, which we took along to the wedding with us, and it came in very handy for the garden shots when she was photographing the groups, you know, the bride and the groom and the bride and the groom and their parents, and then the wedding party, all those sort of shots. She stood up there high on her step stool, got her camera at a better angle. Yes, I'm learning about angles. Quite often when I'm vlogging, I have the camera too low down, sort of pointing up at my face, which is not very um, attractive. So yes, I'm learning from Sophie. So Sophie has filmed her first wedding, and now she's editing all the photos. I think she took over 3,000 photos, and she's not going to edit them all. She's going to choose the best of them, but she wants to make them look as good as they can be, so she's taking her time over the editing, not rushing the job. I think the bride and groom are going to be very happy with her photos. We were talking the other day about the possibility of Sophie approaching a local photographer and asking if she can have some work experience. Just go along on photo shoots and observe. Maybe be the second shoot photographer if the photographer is willing to give her that chance. That would be a wonderful experience for her. So Sophie definitely wants to shoot more weddings. She enjoyed herself immensely. Now on to something different. The next topic is also to do with Sophie, but not photography. It's to do with fitness and exercise. As I said, this is one of her other passions. But before I talk about Sophie's involvement in this story, I wonder if you remember, maybe two or three podcasts ago, I was talking about how we can't force our kids to exercise. What if we see our kids lounging around and they never get outside and we feel it's bad for their health? They need to get moving. We can't force them to exercise. No, we can force our dogs to do that because we forced Nora to get down on the tracks because once she gets down there, we know she's going to have a wonderful time. She does love going for a run. But we can't make our kids do that. All we can do is be a good example and provide opportunities for exercise. Maybe invite them along with whatever we're doing. Maybe we have to stand back and let them get to the stage where they recognize that they are not as healthy as they could be. 
and by listening carefully, we will know the right time to offer some help, to invite them along to what we're doing, all that kind of thing. But the other aspect of health and fitness, apart from exercise, is weight. What happens if we're worried about the weight of one of our children? Do we approach them and say, hey, I think you should go on a diet. I think you should watch what you're eating. You're gaining weight. Well, I think that's totally the wrong thing to do. For a start, I think that when we are overweight, we realize it. We don't need somebody to come along and tell us. We are either willing to put up with it, it's not a big deal, or we eventually want to do something about it. Having an atmosphere in the home where everybody eats healthily, where everybody does pay attention to what they're eating, I think does help when somebody in the family is a little bit overweight. And this is what we've been experiencing recently. I was talking to my daughter Imogen about this podcast earlier. I have got her permission to tell you that she would like to lose a little bit of weight. Not a lot of weight, just a little bit. And she doesn't mind me telling you her story. The other day, I knew that Imogen had got to the state where she wanted to do something about her eating. Sophie also realized. And we went shopping the other morning, and Sophie said to me, Mom, I want to buy Imogen some delicious treats that she can eat in between meals. Things that will be delicious, but not add too many calories to her diet. It can't be easy when you want to lose some weight and you watch other people, what they're eating, and you know that it's not good for you to eat it, but there's nothing else. So can I go around the shops and I want to buy some nuts and other healthy things? I'm going to package it up in little portions, put it in little plastic bags. I want to buy a container for it, put all these bags in the container, and then I want to put them on the shelf in the pantry, and Imogen will know that she has something lovely to eat, and it might help her. Now, I've been thinking about my own weight. I don't just want to talk about other people's weight. I am, I don't know, a little bit overweight. I haven't been brave enough to get on the scales. I am borderline. My overweightness is the sort that can be ignored. I can tell myself, you're not overweight, Sue. You're fine. It doesn't really matter. I can just breathe in a little bit. I can still get into my small size jeggings. No problem at all. I haven't got a weight problem. Yes, it's very easy to convince ourselves. Talking of those jeggings. A mother my age wearing jeggings. Does that sound a little bit horrific? I shall have to tell you my jigging story sometime. It's not as bad as it sounds. But anyway, I think that we are very good at fooling ourselves. Telling ourselves we don't need to do anything about a particular problem. And probably if I did nothing about my weight, yes, I would survive quite nicely. But at the back of my mind, there's always this niggling thought you shouldn't eat this, Sue, or you shouldn't eat that. You'll put on more weight. Wouldn't it be nice to lose a couple of kilos, to fit into your clothes just a little bit better? Yes, weight isn't the most important thing in life, but it is good to be fit and healthy and to be a good example to our children. So I decided to face the fact that I am not eating as well as I could be. 
and if I don't change my habits, maybe I'll have more than a little bit of weight to deal with. So while Sophie and I were out shopping looking for delicious treats for Imogen, we also looked at other ingredients to cook some new healthy recipes. And then we went to the spot shop and I had a look at the iFit wearables. These little bracelet things like Fitbits. Probably everybody is more familiar with Fitbits. They do the same sort of thing. But the iFit wearables, they sync up with the iFit Coach app and our treadmill. They, they all work together. So when you do a workout on the treadmill, all the data is sent to the iFit Coach app and all the data from the iFit wearable is also sent there. They're added together. You can see a bigger, clearer picture of your exercise and also of your nutrition if you're willing to add all of the calorie values of the things that you're eating. Now before I tell you the story of that, I have to admit something. My husband Andy he got an iFit a few years ago, maybe two years ago. I bought it for him, hoping that he would be encouraged to walk a bit more. Yeah, count steps. Be a bit more active. Now, what I didn't expect him to do was start looking at the calorie values of all the food he was eating. And he started doing that. He had an app and he started entering all his meals, everything he'd eaten, what the calorie values were, how many calories he'd eaten in a day, how many calories he had left, all that type of thing. And I rather laughed at it. I said, you can't live your life counting calories. That's no fun at all. And does that really work? How accurate is calorie counting? Yes, I sort of dismissed it all, which I didn't think was very fair. Narrow-minded. It was very discouraging for my husband. And what I have learned is that sometimes we can set our mind against something and then later on we can see something with new eyes and change our minds. And perhaps we ought to be a little bit more open-minded in the first place. Be willing to investigate more. Be willing to support somebody in something that we have no real interest. Because yes, I'm calorie counting. Well, actually, Sophie's calorie counting my meals for me. She's much better at doing all these things than me. I keep forgetting the calorie value of things and then having to research it all again. I've got lazy. I just hand my phone to Sophie and say, can you add my dinner in for me so that I know how many calories I've got left? Now, I don't think that I'll be calorie counting for very long. I do think that it puts a damper on life to have to calorie count every single meal. But what it is teaching us is the value of the food that we're eating. It is giving us a clearer picture of what we're actually putting into our bodies. And I think that's very valuable. I've heard a lot of people say that we should write down what we're eating in a day if we're concerned about our weight. Write it down in black and white. Type it out. Look at the words. Because we can fool ourselves, as I say. We think we've had one treat in a day. And when we write it down, we find out we've actually had three or four. We just sort of put it to the back of our minds and don't think about it. We don't want to face the facts. And this is what we're doing by putting our calories into our app every day. We're facing the fact that we're eating too much. Also, we now know which are the problem foods. And it's not our main meals. We are eating very healthy meals, and our meals 
don't really have all that many calories in them. But what we're doing wrong is drinking too many cappuccinos, having too many extra things in the evening, sitting down and eating a few comfort things because it's winter and it's cold. And it feels good to sit down on the sofa, get a rug over our knees and have something sweet and delicious and full of calories. I've been going out to too many lunches with my children. One-on-one time with each of my children is wonderful. I really enjoy it. But in doing that, I'm having too many one-on-one lunches, too many one-on-one cappuccinos, too many one-on-one cakes. So I'm going to have to change some of our habits. We've been talking about going out for tea instead of coffee. We know a few cafes that sell tea in pots. And it feels rather grand to have a pot of tea, especially if it's loose leaf tea and a special variety. Not just ordinary black tea, but something different. And to pour our tea into a beautiful teacups, that feels, yes, very special. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go out for tea, not coffee. I think the main point of this story is not weight loss and exercise and health at all. What it is, is the willingness of one sibling to help another. For one sibling to tune in to the feelings and needs of a sister and who wants to help. And for the other sister to appreciate that help. To know that somebody has a problem and to know the right way to help that person with a problem. The right approach to share knowledge and ideas. And to get on board with that person, to make the problem a team effort. It's not one person's problem. We're all willing to share the burden, to help each other. I think it brings us all a lot closer together. And that's why, even though maybe I've only got a couple of kilos that I should lose, it's important that I lose them. It's important that I get on board with the fitness, with the eating, why I can't go off and eat what I want to eat, why I am going to eat the team diet and do the team calorie counting and to share all our results and achievements. Yes, a team effort. One last thing I want to say about health and exercise and logging our calories and all that is that we are doing an awful lot of real-life maths. Adding and subtracting all these calories, looking at percentages, speeds, distances, averages, looking at graphs, following trails, looking at maps, calculating the distance of our runs, lots and lots of real-life maths. Before I finish this podcast, I want to share just a couple of things that I've made this week. I've had quite a profitable week. After having some lean weeks, I've actually written a couple of blog posts this week, and I have made two vlogs. Yes, my YouTube channel is up and running again. And of course, I shall have a podcast up this week as well. Just need to go and edit this file. Yes, vlogging. Back to vlogging. I was vlogging in the car the other day. I made a couple of vlogs when I was sitting outside Sophie's Cafe. Vlogging on the go. Trying to make the most of a small window of opportunity. 
it didn't take me very long to make those vlogs, so I'm hoping to make more of them. So if you'd like to watch those, they're on my YouTube channel, Sue Elvis. And if you'd like to read the blog posts, they're on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. You could also join me on my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family, as well. Well, I think that's all I want to talk about today. I hope to be back next week with another podcast. As I said, I want to reorganize our days, get a new rhythm to our lives, a rhythm I hope that will include, I hope, a quiet time each week for recording a podcast. Episode 97. I've got to get to episode 100. That's what's keeping me going at the moment. I've already got a title for episode 100. 100 unschooling ideas. So I can't stop yet. So I hope that you all have a wonderful week. I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. And until next time, remember to trust, respect, and love unconditionally.